I will pray for us and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is Your day and we are Your people. We come to meet with You today as our God and we come to meet with You today as our friend. May we walk in that beautiful tension. May we walk in Your beautiful holiness and Your beautiful love. May we walk in the reality of who You are and what You have done in our lives. May we walk in the reality of what, you've already, what You're already doing now in this church and what You started 2,000 years ago and what You started in eternity past. May it be clear to us that You are fully God and fully human today. Lord God, that You've brought us freedom and forgiveness. And Jesus, we, we just pray to bask in the miracle that You've made us Your family because You're our friend. And so, Jesus, I just pray You would be here with us now. The things that are just of me, God, I pray that they would be forgotten. But the things that are of You, the things that are of the Holy Spirit, God, that they would work in our lives as the trash compactor of life closes in on us, that we would cling to You in the pressure of life and know that You're God around here, Jesus. We love You, Jesus, and pray these things in Your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Alright, so we're working our way through Hebrews line by line. We are in chapter 2. We started in September, so we're going to be in Hebrews probably a very, very long time. Uh, But I'm okay with that. So, um, we'll be in chapter 2 starting verse 14. Hey, we get to the end of chapter 2 today. Amazing. We're in chapter 2 starting verse 14. One of the great mega themes of this book the thing the author of Hebrews keeps drawing people back to is not to get distracted with other things, but to keep Jesus in His right place. And that Jesus is better than any other thing you've got. Any, anything you could put out there, anything you could think of, Jesus is better than those things and is more valuable than those things. And He needs to be in the right place in our hearts. And He's just going to keep dropping these giant logs on the heart of worship. He's going to keep showing us, look how amazing He is in this way. And look how amazing He is in this way and look how he's better here and look how he's better there and this week he's going to show us that Jesus the holy right just maker of all things came into human history in the flesh can relate to you and I in our sufferings and in our trial and is our friend this is one of those texts, this, this little section here at the end in particular, right as we go into three, uh, that is so uh, important, A, for the gospel. He's fully God, fully human. Live the life you were supposed to live. So you, you, it's not your life, it's his life, right? I don't go to God and say, hey, look at the life I lived, God. It's amazing. I go to him and say, look what Jesus did. Jesus is amazing. That's what I do at the end of my life. I stand before the throne of God and it's not, hey, okay, I did some sins over here and they were bad and I did some good things over here and I hope they go on the scale and they work out. I go and I say, Jesus' life instead of my life, take his, not mine. And God says, welcome. Welcome to the family. Because it's not about what you've done, it's about what Jesus has done, right? And integral to that gospel is he actually came as a human being. He actually lived a real human being life, Okay? Fully God, fully human, and we'll talk a lot about that. But in there, this holy, right, just God who's holy other, he had friends. He ate food and had friends. And he's come into history to make you his friend. Right? Eminent and present. This is one of those gospel tensions we have to walk in. Holy other and so near and so close. So near. 
And, and I think this is important because I think that if you're not a Christian and you're here with us, and this is the first time you're hearing any of this, right? You need to know that we don't worship some clockmaker God who sort of created everything and walked away to go start another project, and we'll see how that crockpot's working out in a few millennia or whatever, right? <laughs> and, and we don't have a demanding God of religion. We, we separate those two as pejorative religion being pejorative and gospel being positive in that religion is I do things to get up to God but the gospel is Jesus had to come down and get to me. Why? Because he's holy and I'm not. And he's loved me first before I loved him. He came down to get me. He came down to get you. And so if you're not a Christian you need to know that we worship God who's holy but we also believe that in the person of Jesus he's our friend. That's the God we worship, our friend Jesus. And when I say friend Jesus, I don't mean like buddy Jesus and we go bowling, right? I mean that when I pick up the phone, metaphorically speaking, to talk to God, he's there. Or as one of my favorite uh, Johnny Cash songs says, <clears throat> excuse me, no secretary ever tells me he's been called away. I talk to Jesus every day. If you don't know it, you should look into it. Also, what's good is the one where he mixes in Billy Graham, jams into the middle of his song, but that's a sermon or maybe conversation for another time. Um, but in addition to that, I think this is really important for us. If you are feeling far from God right now in your life, if, if you are a Christian, you're like, but where is he? Where is he right now? I don't know where he is in the middle of this stuff. If he feels far, you need to know you have a friend in Jesus. And if you've been subject to religion and moralism, if you do things so God will love you rather than do things because you know God has loved you, you need to know the things that are in Hebrews today. These will liberate you and free you from your religion and bring you into friendship with the holy God of the universe. Okay. And honestly, this is stuff that if you are just knee-deep in your own sin, if you are knee-deep in your own mess as you've come in here today, you need to hear these things about Jesus. I have some very good news for you today about Jesus. If you are just in the midst of the struggle and the tide of life is just taking you under, I have good news for you today. And this text is so weaved into my preaching that I think if I don't actually straight up say this section from Hebrews in a sermon every week, I at least allude to it because it's so clutch and so crucial and so important. Let's have a look. Hebrews chapter 2, starting verse 14. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood. What does it mean, uh, share in the flesh and blood? We're all human, right? That's what it means. You're a human being. I'm a human being. We're all human beings. Welcome to the club. We have certain things that are similar to all of us. Okay? That's what it means. I'm just human. But hear this. He, that's Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things. This is one of those little sentences we could hear and kind of just keep moving. You're a human. He was a human. Now, here's our problem. If you're good at orthodoxy, you know what I mean by that? You, you, can, you can recite a creed or you know what you're supposed to say, fully God, fully human, but you don't actually take some time to steep in that reality. You're going to miss out on what God's done for you. You're going to miss out on what's available to you. And here's our problem. In the last hundred years, people have tried so hard to sort of uh, rip down who Jesus is that we as sort of Bible-believing Christians have tended to really have to defend his divinity, which I will defend tooth and nail till the day I die. Jesus is fully God. But in, in fighting so hard uh, for his divinity, sometimes we miss the reality that he's not Superman. You know what I mean by that? 
He's not walking around Clark Kent and then uh, uh, it's time to feed 5,000 people and he, he's really Superman under the thing and he does, feeds 5,000 people because he's God. He feeds 5,000 people in dependence on the Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit because he was a fully human person. He lives on earth the same way you live on earth as a Christian, fully dependent on God the Father and God the Spirit. Now, that is mind-blowing. There's so much to unpack there, but you need to know that when he's sweating blood in the garden, uh, it's not a show, is what I'm saying. When his friends ditch him, when his family ditches him, and he is bummed out by it, it's not a show. When he's hungry, it's not a show. When he's tempted, it's not a show. Fully God, fully human, fully human, really tempted, really ditched, really in pain, really real. Fully human, no sin, though. That's different. I'll keep going. We'll get there. Uh, He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, because he died, he came to die. He died. That's pretty human. One of the lowest common denominators of our humanity that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Okay, this is one of those spots where you need to either, uh, we do one of two things. No, we usually do this one. We usually just read that really fast and don't deal with it because it seems theologically complicated and that doesn't quite sound right with some other things in the Bible. Uh, So what do we do with that? He has the power of death. So you mean that Satan's the one who picks when we die? That's not what it means at all. That's not what it's saying. Uh, Acts chapter 17 is really clear. God picked the day you were born and put the expiration date on your birth certificate. God's in control of those things, okay? God's got that. Why? Because God's in control of life. Um, when, we, when we see death here, what it means is that Satan has the power of death. Uh, sometimes it's helpful. Here's what you should do. When you get to a confusing part in the Bible, you're like, I don't know what to do here. You ride your horse to somewhere less confusing. Get on your horse and you go. You look at what's less confusing and then you come back and you say, oh, okay. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry, we've been playing a lot of castle Legos lately, and so horses are just kind (laughs) of crossbows. Anyways, verse 1, starting in 2, Ephesians. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So how much did you do to get saved if you're a Christian? Nothing, because you're dead. Because you're dead. Um... And if you are not a Christian, you need to know that that means that becoming a Christian doesn't mean, oh, I, I figure out how to like hang out with these people and I wear, uh, you know, I wear a nice sweater on Sunday and I show up to the appointment and then we're all good here, right? No, no, you need to be saved. You can't save yourself. You can't clean yourself up. You can't fix your life. You need Jesus to save you. And he will. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, period. If you don't know Him, this is the truth. And if you're in Him, you need to know you didn't do anything to get in and you can't do anything to get out. Romans 8 tells us that not height nor depth, no power nor principality will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You have a friend in Jesus. He doesn't get tired. Have you ever gotten tired? Oh, let's have a moment of honesty, shall we? Have you ever gotten tired of a friend? And when they call, you're like, ugh. Next week. Jesus doesn't do that. There's no last straw with Jesus. There's no, oh man, I really thought I could count on you not to sin against me one more time. That's it, man. There's the door. 
and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked following the course of the world. Uh, the world means the system of things uh, that are in rebellion against God. Uh, the systems that are at work. The objectification that is at work. Uh, uh, the things people do to uh, love money and hate people or, or use people to get to their... All of those things together make up the world. World systems. All that stuff that's at work against God and what He's got. Loving God and loving others. Okay? Because sometimes the world means good things. That's why I have to say that. Uh, Following the course of this world. Following who? The power, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work at sons of disobedience. This is Satan. The devil. Okay? Among whom we all once lived. How much room do we have for arrogance as Christians? How much do we get to be better than other people? Because it says that we're all there once, right? Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying on the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when you see Satan has the power of death here, I think this is what it's after. When we're in our sin, Satan gets a heyday with us because we're just on his team, right? The wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. The fact that Adam sinned once upon means we're all going to die. It means Jesus had to die so we don't have to. Okay? When we're in our sin, when we're apart from Christ, all we get is death. And in there, Satan gets full reign. And honestly, he's just beating a drum and we like the rhythm. Right? We're following him in his ways. We're doing what he did. We're living in rebellion against God. And here's the tricky thing. Okay? Especially around Halloween. They're decorating downstairs for my sermon today, by the way. Maybe you didn't notice. Um, Now I'm sidetracked. Parents, by the way, there's another door that you can lead your kids in and take them in the elevator if it's scary for them. By the way, just thought I'd say it in the middle of the sermon. So, we're in this place with Satan. And we're just falling. He beats the drum and we like the rhythm. And, and the thing is, and especially like around Halloween time, you're watching Italian horror. Don't watch Italian horror movies, by the way. But don't, like, serious, don't. Like, like don't, like, Google it for fun because I said so. Like, don't do it. But there's, so, there's this thing around, this, this vibe, and you're like, oh, that's the Satan stuff. That's the Satan stuff. The halloween type stuff. Right? The thing we miss is when Satan beats the drum and we like the rhythm... He doesn't care what we do as long as it's against God. So it can be wiling out, and it can be that really dark stuff, and it, 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 we miss that it's just as dark to take the things that God made and say, that look, thank you, me. Look what I did for myself. And, and that it's just as dark to say, I am justified in the world because I've done good things. Because you'd go to God and say, I don't need you. I, I'm just fine with my good things right here. Satan doesn't care if you're a moralist, that you're religious, uh, that you're a Satanist, uh, if you're into black metal, he doesn't care as long as you bite the hook. Okay? As long as you're living in rebellion against God and saying, I don't need you, Jesus. He does not care. And as long as we're living there saying, I don't need you, Jesus, we're just going to follow him down many rabbit trails wherever he goes. You ready for my favorite but in the whole Bible? Verse 4. But God... 
being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. Your salvation in Christ is a gift. How do I know that? Because the next verse. Oh, no. The second part of this verse. And this is not your own doing. This is the Gospel. You didn't earn God's love. He loved you first. He's good. It's a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. I try not to be a nerd about this stuff, but that word workmanship is better translated poetry. I don't know why they put workmanship there. We're God's Poetry. Some cool God's doing. Workmanship's cool too. I get, you know, works great. Creating Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, let's go back to Hebrews. So when we see this language about the one who has the power of death, I think what it's angling after is that while we're still in our sin, uh, we're headed to death. Satan doesn't care what you do as long as you die, as long as you don't have life in Christ. And in that realm, we are honestly just batted back and forth and there's nothing we can do about it. We're just His. Good news is that Jesus came to save. This is why the gospel is so good uh, in certain, to certain indigenous peoples. Because it actually honors their tradition and honors stuff around. When you realize Jesus came to save you from that stuff you're getting after. Because He's real and so is that. But that's perhaps another sermon too. I'll keep going. that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. How does he have power on us? You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You can't pay the price for your sin. You can't get yourself out of your sin. But Jesus came to die so you don't have to. His life, his perfect sinless life for your life. His death for your death. The wage of my sin is death. That death was died by Jesus Christ on the cross so that God can welcome me into his family. Jesus came and died to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is this is trustworthy. This is true. This is what he came to do. God's answer to my sin is to die in my place. Does that make any sense? Not to us because we're humans. The thing that was keeping me between myself and God was me. Jesus came to deal with me. He came to deal with my actions. He came to deal with my sin because he's good. Now, as Christians, this means we've been transferred from this other death Halloween-y type stuff. It's not a trick-or-treating comment, I'm just saying, right, over there. So we've been transferred from this Satan stuff over here to the Jesus stuff over here. Now, does that mean that it's over? Does that mean that once you become a Christian, you'll never sin again? We bring you up here and you have your testimony and say, you know, last week I was addicted to heroin or whatever, and now I'm never going to sin again, and I'm, I'm cool, and that's, that's never going to happen again. I wish. I wish I went to bed and never sinned again. That's not the deal, though. We're being sanctified. We're being changed. But every sin we've committed is on His cross. He saved you from yourself. He's saving you from yourself. And you will be saved. In addition to that, Satan is real, by the way. I don't know if you've picked up that I believe that. But it's true. He is real, malevolent, evil, nasty, horrible, wants you to die. Likes you in your sin and death and in rebellion against God. Doesn't care what He gives you as long as you're in rebellion against God. So as a Christian... 
If I read what I just read in Ephesians, or I read what I read in Colossians 2, I've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So does that mean I don't ever have to deal with Satan again? That thing's over. I'm a, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, therefore I never have to deal with Satan ever again in my entire life? <sighs> I wish that was true, too. Um, here's the deal. Uh, he has no authority over you anymore if you're in Christ. You don't belong over there anymore. But sometimes we end up back over there. So Satan lies. He's a liar, the father of lies. He beats the drum. We like the rhythm. What does that mean? It means we make agreements with him. What kind of, what do I mean agreement? What would that be? He lies to you about something about you or about God. And by the way, that's all that he does. He lies about you, he lies about God. If God really loved you, he'd give you that job. Oh, he didn't give you the job. He must not love you. Now here's, here's where we have a chance, right? This is, this is where it stands. If God really loved you, then he would do this. And we say, you're right, if God really did love me, he would do that. We just entered into the agreement. He's beating the drum. We like the rhythm. Yeah, I, I kind of like the way that sounds. Because if God really loved me, he'll give me the job. So God loves me, so he's going to give me the job. I didn't get the job. Guess what? In the gospel, I'm not promising you jobs. I'm promising you Jesus. Okay? If you want the church where they're going to promise you jobs, this ain't it. I hope for you. I hope for your betterment. I hope for your well-being. I hope you get a job. I hope he takes care of you for that. But I'm telling you, the thing that you're promised in the gospel is Jesus, and Jesus is it, and Jesus is enough, and Jesus is everything. And the thing that Satan wants to lie to you about is tell you that he's not. Or that he doesn't love you. Or he lies to you about who you are, what you look like, what people think about you. He lies to you about all these things. And it's not a sin to be lied to because you're going to be lied to for your whole life on earth until he gets thrown into the pit, which he will. Praise the Lord. Victory. It's coming. That day is coming, by the way. But as Christians, when he beats the drum and we like the rhythm, he's lying. You don't have to do what he says. You're in the kingdom of light now. You're in the kingdom of light. But we, we, get, we get bought into it. We buy into the world and the systems and objectification and the, the rat race and the dog pile and king of the mountain. We buy into all these things. We buy into the competition for looks. We buy into the, the competition for money. We buy into the competition for stuff. Those aren't from God. Right? Those aren't from God. So Jesus came to die to crush Satan and sin and death and they're a trifecta and they go together. He came to deal with all of your sin to free you from death by dying in your place, and he came to defeat Satan. Now, Satan is still alive and active. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who my third son's middle named after, I did him a favor and didn't name him Spurgeon as his first name, which was a contender. <laughs> but he can thank me for that later. Um, <clears throat> but he has this great picture that Satan's like a dragon who's had his head cut off. His tail's still whipping around, hitting people all over the place. But it's as good as done on the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, here we go. That's the kind of friend we have because he came to free us from that. How do I know that? Because it keeps saying that. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In your sin, you're a slave. You are going to die. Christians, when we die, to be apart from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, Paul has this weird back and forth, if you're familiar with it. He says the phrase, to live is, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What he means by that is that if and he unpacks it for us there, he says, okay, you leave Andrew Pack here in Seattle in 2013, and I'm going to keep preaching the gospel, and I'm going to keep telling my kids about the gospel, and I'm going to keep telling you about the gospel, and that's good. You know what I want ultimately in my life? I want to see Jesus. I want to be in the presence of the Lord forever. Okay? When I die, hopefully after 40, 50, or 60 years of preaching, praying for it, 
Nothing like burying a really old preacher, by the way. Close my eyes and go home to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and be with the king and wait for the new earth in heaven with him, waiting for him to restore all things. So what does that mean I've got to lose on life, life on planet earth? You leave me here, I'm going to keep preaching. You take my life away, I'm going to go home and be with Jesus. Boom. That's a dangerous thought. Dangerous thought. Okay. Because we're free. He's freed us. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I got no fear there. I got human fear. When I see gospel with gospel lenses, there's no fear. You can start thinking about all the details around horrible things like that. And I'm not even saying it's cool. I'm just saying there's freedom. Okay? And so Jesus has come to bring us freedom. And this is one of those clutch core pieces of the gospel. Uh, that Jesus didn't come to put a bunch of rules on you. His burden is like in light and his yoke is easy. He's come to free you. And it's for freedom that Christ has set you free so that you wouldn't put that bondage of sin back on. Okay? Because guess what? Money will not make you happy. You have a pile of money and no happiness. Objectifying human beings eventually will not make you happy. It will not bring you fulfillment. It will not give you hope. Uh, uh, everything about our life is temporary. It's dust in the wind. Right? I did two funerals last summer. One for a very young person and one for a very old person. Okay? Life is very short, is what was really clear to me at the end of that summer. One lived really, 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 really well. And when you, when you come to the end of someone's life who's lived well, even then, it's over. It's like vapor. Psalms can use that language in Ecclesiastes. And the more we, can, we know about it because it's fall, right? You breathe out, and then it's gone. And so if you spend time chasing the vapor, you end up with nothing. You end up with nothing. And Jesus came to free you from that. Jesus came to free you from finding your purpose and meaning and reason in life and those things. Now, the awesome thing is, he's also freed you to really, really enjoy those things. Everything God has created is for you to enjoy, just not to worship, just not to make the point of your life. He's given you friends, not so you can find, oh man, I hope everybody likes me and they think I'm cool and they, they, they like my tweet and then everybody else likes it and then it goes viral and then I'm on uh, uh, Letterman or whatever. Like, that's not the point of your friends. Because we live in the weirdest world now. <laughs> your friends are a gift. Enjoy them. Look at your friends and say, Jesus, thank you. I mean, this church is a gift. This church is a gift. We'll be with him forever. But this isn't the point. The, the, the thing that his anger church doesn't terminate on Sunday at 11, it terminates on Jesus. And when we're here, we say thank you. We sing songs to him to say thank you. We open his word because we want to say thank you. Because we want to know him. We want to love him because he's our friend. Because we have such a friend in Jesus. Because he set you free for freedom, not for a bunch of rules. Because Christianity is loving Jesus, not not sinning. You understand that? Christianity is loving Jesus, and because I love Jesus, I want to put off every weight that clings so closely so all I can get is Jesus out of my life. All I want is Jesus, so I want to get rid of my sin because I want to get my sin out of my way because it gets in the way of me and Jesus. I hate it because I love him. I hate my sin because I love Jesus. And so I fight to get it gone. And that's a war to get to Jesus. Why? Because I have such a friend in Jesus. 
They want freedom. He wants freedom. It's for freedom Christ has set you free. For surely, this one's, oh man. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, the family of God who we are included into now through the cross. Uh, I don't know if you caught this. I don't have time to unpack this. Verse 16 says, for it is not angels who he helps. We love angels. Just a, a verse before it says that God has sent angels to, ministering, to minister to those who are being saved, right? Angels are here to help the church. But what did he just say in saying, it's not angels that he helps. What's he trying to say there? Angels, celestial beings that are so mighty and great, when people encounter them in the Bible, oftentimes they worship them. And they say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. That went really poorly for one guy. Um, he's saying despite the fact that they're celestial beings in Christ, it's better to be a human being in Christ than it is to be an angel. But the reality of this gospel thing we're talking about, the salvation we have in him, Peter says is the thing that angels long to look at. Celestial beings, we can just buy, you can go a whole day without even thinking about Jesus and still be a Christian who loves him with all your heart. Right? And it says that angels long to look at that thing that we have, this friendship we have with God. They long to get in there and see it. One verse is saying, angels are cool. It's better to be a human who's a Christian than it is to be an angel. I don't have any time to unpack that one. Therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, that whole freeing us from death and sin and Satan thing. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for sins of the people. Propitiation. There's a fancy word you can Wikipedia. What it means is all your sin is cleansed from you. Everything that gets in between you and God that you have done has been washed by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you have that keeps you from God. There is nothing you have, there's no sin you've committed, no thing that's happened in your life, no thing you've done, no thing that's been done against you that can keep you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and that's the gospel. You have anything in the closet you wish you hadn't ever done that when you think about it still hurts a little? That thing is not between you and Jesus because of his cross. What a friend we have in Jesus. I'm not saying it didn't suck, and I'm not saying it's not hard, and I'm not saying it's not horrible. I'm just telling you it's not between you and Jesus. It's not keeping you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm telling you. Verse 18. Oh, man. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So he knows everything because he's God eternal, right? He knows because he's God. He knows everything. So does that mean that God doesn't know what it's like to be you? Well, we can get into a conversation about uh, all sorts of nerdy phrases that I will use all my will to hold inside Because he's God, he he knows what it's like to be you. But because he was a man, because he came and walked on earth, there's no question. It's not not theoretical. It's not because he's God and has knowledge of everything. It's because he was God who came as a human being and walked on earth. Right? 
It's not because he's God and has theoretical knowledge. It's because he's God, the God-man who has actual knowledge. He knows. What a friend we have. He knows. You ever have a friend who's just in the middle of something that you just don't know nothing about? You're just sitting there with them and you're weeping with them and you're crying with them and you're just at a loss because you're like, I don't even know. I, I don't even know what to say to you right now but to hold you and to cry with you and care for you and love you. That's all I've got because I don't even know what you've been through. You ever, ever have that? It's a hard moment as a friend, as a parent, as a spouse. It's a, it's a hard moment in life. And, and I think sometimes you can hear me preaching and say, that's, that's nice for you. That Jesus thing, is, is ni- that's nice for you. That's, that's, I'm glad that's working out for you. I'm glad that Jesus thing's working out for you. Got your nice sweater or whatever. You don't know. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what it was like to live with them. You don't know what it was like to be there. You don't know what it was like to live there. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't. I don't. Okay? I don't. But I have really good news for you. Go with me to, let's start in, uh, let's go to Matthew for I don't know what it's like to be I don't know what it's like to be tempted I don't know what it's like to struggle I don't know what it's like to have lived in your shoes because I don't because you do I don't I don't necessarily know uh, Matthew chapter 4 I kind of have to fly through here so micro machines man time and like two people who were born you know before 1984 actually got that joke but here we go um, uh, then this is one of the scariest verses in the whole Bible that I just really don't have time to unpack, so I'll just let you take this one home. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you're really who you say you are, Jesus, why don't you show everybody who you are? That way they'll all think well of you, Jesus. What does Jesus say? But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. No, Satan, I will not. I'm going to depend on God the Father. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to agree with you. I'm not going to go with you. I am going to hold... How tempted is Jesus in this moment? Again, not Superman Jesus. Fully God, fully human, human Jesus. Jesus. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, he didn't say, you are the son of God. If you're the son, if you're the son of God, Jesus, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you stri- they strike your foot against a stone. Here's scary. Satan's quoting scripture. Creepy. Um, know your Bible. Satan knows his. Uh, you believe in God? So do demons. Know your Bible. Just as an aside. Verse 7, because Jesus does. Jesus said to him, again it is written, again from Deuteronomy, by the way, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Come on, test God. Come on. If God really loves you, he'll give you that job. You know what? 
If God really loves me, God will give me God. And God has given me God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. So Jesus is Messiah, which means he gets all the kingdoms of the world. But as we see through the Bible, he's going to get it through the cross. What's Satan doing? He's offering him a life without pain and comfort. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. I'll beat the drum if you like the rhythm. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord God, and Him only will you serve. By the way, this is the pattern for what to do if you're being harassed by the demonic. You stay close to your Bible, you pray to God, and you tell it to go. Because if you're a child of God, you have kingdom authority. If you're being harassed by the demonic, they don't get to stay. You tell them to go. Jesus told them to go. You have Jesus' authority. You tell them to go. And then what happens? Classic right here. This is then what you do. What do you do once they've left? There's some dark, nasty thing. I don't even know what it was, and it's gone now. What do I do now? Jesus-y stuff, as my, one of my teachers likes to say it. Jesus-y stuff. Where do I get that? Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Um, you ever feel tempted? Not like Jesus. I might not have anything on you, but Jesus was tempted more than any other human being has ever been tempted ever, 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 ever. Because if Satan could get him, which he, yeah, that's another conversation, I suppose. Satan's crazy and thinks he can get Jesus. If he can get Jesus off gospel, if he can get him off mission, if he can get him away from that cross, that means Satan wins. You think Satan let up on Jesus? You think this was it? This is the snapshot we get. You ever feel tempted? To do the right thing for the wrong reasons? I'm going to do this good thing. But then I'm going to let people know that I did this good thing. Thank you, Twitter. And so then everyone can retweet it and say, Oh, you magnanimous, wonderful humanitarian. Throw him a parade. Help us here. Andrew Pack tweeted that he did something nice. Glory thief. You get to, I mean, it's joy. We love helping people as a church. Bring di- we bring diapers every Sunday. There's none there right now, which means you can bring some diapers. Why? Because there's kids up the street who don't have diapers. If you've ever had a kid and ever thought of not having a diaper, that is a frightening thing. Why do we do that? They're image bearers of God, and they need diapers. We need your help. They need diapers. Love your neighbor. Bring some diapers. But do we do that so that we can throw ourselves a parade, or do we do that because Jesus has blessed us so abundantly? It's because he's blessed us abundantly. <laughs> uh, go with me to Luke chapter. Ooh, chapter 17, verse 11. This is just a snapshot. This thing happened to Jesus over and over and over and over and over again, but this is a good one. Verse 11 and 17 On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance uh, and lifted up their voices. Because they wouldn't. They, if, you're, if you have leprosy at this point in time, you're unclean, no one can touch you, and it's your obligation to stand at a distance from people. And when they come near you, you have to shout, unclean! So they haven't touched anybody or been able to have a conversation with anybody but other lepers in a long time. And lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Because that's what you could do when when you get clean and cleansed. A priest looks at you and says, yep, welcome back into society. Um, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. No more shouting unclean. No more distance from people. No more dying of an incurable disease. Right? We live in America. We don't have a lot of leprosy here. He just saved their lives. And more so. And as they went and were cleansed, as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God. How many were there? Sesame Street math? There were ten. How many went back? One. Didn't he just save ten dudes' lives? Where's the other nine? That's a question Jesus is going to ask. It's a good question. You know it's a good question when you think it and then Jesus says it. Because Jesus is the one who said it. Uh, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I love that Luke includes this detail now. He was a Samaritan. Samaritans were subhumans. They were outside of society. They were outcast. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, people like him are welcomed into the family of God. Praise the Lord. That's just a little haiku, boop, three-word, sub-point. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. He's welcomed into the family, for the record. You for, you know, he says this foreigner, but he's welcomed into the family. Rise, your faith has made you well. You're in the family. Welcome to the team. You think Jesus ever felt used? You ever feel used? John has a more pronounced version of it. He's been feeding all these people. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then everyone's like, I am out of here. Again and again, he's pointing out, they came for miracles. They came for the stuff I can do. They came for the stuff I can do. You ever have it to where you feel like, man, this guy's just around for the stuff I can do. It doesn't feel good. You ever feel used? I might not know what it feels like to be you and feel used, but Jesus does. Because he's an actual human being who actually came to earth, who actually was there. And this is just a, a snapshot. One more. Go with me to, oh, yeah. Go with me to Luke chapter 3. We'll start in verse 20. Uh, if you're in the ESV and probably the NIV 84, there's a bad break where they, they, they give you a little heading. These guys, scripture reading tip, these guys aren't scripture. These, this black thing here, this bold guy, it's helpful, but sometimes they put it in the wrong spot. It should actually go above verse 20, and then you miss what happened in verse 20 because there's a sandwich Mark has made for us with two things on either side and some meat in the middle. And you're like, what is he talking about? I'm hungry. It's lunchtime. Um, then he went home, and the crowd gathered again. Lego horses and sandwiches. Here we go. 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now, before we dig in here, I have to say something about his mama, Mary. Mary is amongst the most exceptional people in all of the scriptures. 
When she got pregnant with Jesus, she would have been probably middle school age. Her response to this is faithfulness to God. She is exceptional. She is an exceptional mama for this young man. Which is weird to say about Jesus, because we have that whole thing where he's fully God, fully human. He grew up before them. He grew. He's got an exceptional mama. But at this point in time, even she here in three is like, I think it's time for Jesus to come home. Uh, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem are saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub, that's religious folk, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. And he called them and said to them, and he begins to talk to them about uh, this whole thing about casting out demons. And then we'll pick it up in 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. So his family doesn't understand. Not only they don't understand, I think he's out of his mind. The religious folks who are supposed to be celebrating the fact that Messiah is here to put everything back the way it's supposed to be are saying that the reason he's able to cast out demons is because he has a demon. Talk about rejected. Talk about misunderstood. Talk about doing things for God that no one understands and doesn't get it when you live differently for Jesus. Your friends don't understand why you got up this morning and you're here. Why did you do that? And the answer is not just because service starts at 11, right? They don't get it. And sometimes that feels awkward, and sometimes that feels rude, and sometimes people just say hurtful things in there. Ever, said, ever had someone say hurtful things to you because you love Jesus? You're not alone. You're not alone. He knows what it is like to have your family not understand the kingdom of God. He knows what it's like to have religious folks say, well, if you just have more faith, you would be better right now. He he knows what it's like to get the business end of religion in that pejorative sense. So maybe I don't know because I didn't grow up in Kentucky. Because you're from the Bible Beltish area. Right? Maybe I don't know what it was like to try and follow Jesus and listen to punk rock music or something. And what it felt like to just want to be a skateboarder and love Jesus, which is not mutually exclusive. Just for the record. Maybe I don't know. I know someone who does. Right? And we can just keep doing this all day long. And I can stand up here all day long and say, I don't know what it's like to be you. I can hold your hand, I can cry with you, I can, you know, whatever. We can walk, hold your hand as we walk into redemption, whatever that thing looks like. But I don't necessarily know what it's like to be you. But I don't have to know what it's like to be you because we have this friend, his name's Jesus, the God of the universe, who does know what it's like to be you, and more so. More so. Here's what we could do. We have options in life. There's suffering in life. What did we hear here? I'm going to read it one more time for us. For because he himself has suffered real suffering. Real suffering. Not pretend suffering. Not Superman, Clark Kent, pretending to get a boo-boo suffering. Real suffering. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help you and be with you and walk with you. 
Oh, and by the way, he's God, so he's also able to save you and empower you. He doesn't just have a shoulder to cry. He can actually be with you and help you and walk with you because we've got God, right? And so as a preacher, we can do a few things in the face of this stuff. As a preacher, I can do a few things in the face of this stuff. As a church, we can do a few things in the face of this stuff. One of the options is, is the reason we get together, I could just come in here and lie to you, right? Uh, get up in here and say, uh, quote the Rolling Stones and say, you can't always get what you want, but sometimes if you try, you might just find you get what you need. And everyone says, yeah, I'm going to try. I'll get what I need. Get what you need. The song comes on, you turn it up loud, you put the convertible down, and you drive down the highway. You know, sometimes when you try, you don't actually get what you need. You try really, 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 really hard, and you come up empty. Now, I'm not saying, I want you to know, I also believe God's a God who blesses. God has made finances come out of nowhere when we didn't know when it was going to happen. I know people in this room who have been healed by God miraculously through prayer. God does those things. But there are also times when we suffer, and there's also times when we come up short. Okay? So it's both. Don't, don't hear me going poverty theology on you. I believe in a healing God. If you're sick, make sure someone prays for you before you leave here today. We have a God who's a healer. Okay? But the point is not to stand up here and say, if you'd only have more faith, if you just try harder. The point is also not for me to stand up here and give you a method for your life. Karma is a method for your life. It turns out as Westerners, we don't actually like Buddhism. The first, uh, most of us, I should say, the first uh, uh, of the big tenets of Buddhism is that all life is suffering. And as Christians who love comfort, we only like the part where it turns out if you do nice things to other people, nice things happen to you. The whole thing when we find out, oh, so you think all life is suffering, huh? What's good? Nothing. It's all bad. That's not Christianity. That's not what we believe. We believe stuff's good. We just do weird stuff with it. Beer's good. We just do keg stands with it, right? Food's good. We just do American Thanksgiving with it, right? It's not about gaming the system. It's not about me giving you... If you just do these things, you'll fix your marriage. Your marriage is broken, I'll fix your marriage. Here's 10 steps to fixing your marriage. Oh, your finances are jacked? I'll give you 10 steps to fixing your finances. I'll give you 10 steps to be a millionaire in a year. How about that? Got your notepad out? Let's go. Why is that important? Those two things are so important. Because that's why everybody else thinks you're here. I don't know if you know that, but that's why they... I was trying to be careful. We're Seattleites. We have a positive view of this city. It's us and them together. We are together. It's not really us and them. It's us and us. But the people outside the church think you're here for the same reason. They're doing whatever they're doing. To be on top of King of the Mountain. To be on top of the dog pile. To try really hard and get what you need. But guess what? We're not here to try real hard and get what we need unless that only thing we need is Jesus and we don't try for that. Right? The reality that Jesus is our friend means that in the midst of trial and suffering and sickness, we have everything we need in Jesus. They look in on that stuff and just think, this is our ticket to that thing. Oh, I, I use uh, horoscopes in the Wall Street Journal, and you use church, and we're all trying to get the Subaru. Got it. That's your way. This is my way. Many pass up one mountain. Cool. That's why they think you're here. That's not why you're here. You're here for Jesus. 
That's why you love Jesus, for Jesus. Because you and I have a friend in Jesus. In the midst of suffering, we have Jesus. In the midst of spiritual warfare, we have Jesus. In the midst of temptation, we have Jesus. In the midst of poverty, we have Jesus. In the midst of riches, we have Jesus to keep them in the right place. In the midst of health, we have Jesus. In the midst of sickness, we have Jesus. Sometimes we approach Jesus the same way we approach marriage vows. For better, for better for worse, for richer, for poorer. We hear for better, for richer, right? What about for worse and for poorer? You know Jesus is for you and for worse and for poorer. He's with you in the midst of all these things. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to introduce you to my friend Jesus today. If you're saying, I would like to know that God, how do I make friends with him? Welcome to the family. Turn from your sin and turn to him. Be saved. Be free. He's God. He's good. He'll meet you where you're at. Don't get cleaned up. He cleans you up. And if he's far from you and he feels distant, you need to know the promise of James that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you and you have a friend in Jesus who wants to draw near to you, wants to be with you in the trial, wants to be with you. And even when you're ignoring him in the midst of your sickness and trial, he's still there. Because it's not height nor depth nor powers nor principalities can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But you can lean in. You can depend more. And even that comes from the Spirit. And if you're stuck in religion, keep trying to do stuff to make God happy, to pay Him back or pay Him off. You can't. You think you can pay God for coming in human flesh, dying on a cross, saving you from yourself, and involving you in the resurrection in the new earth? You can't pay Him back for that. You ain't got nothing for that. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Love Him. Serve Him. Turn from your sin. Turn to Him. And if you're just in your junk, if this was the worst week of your life, if last night was the worst night of your life, we have a friend in Jesus. Sin as far as the east is from the west. He resurrected from the dead. He will walk with you. He will help you. He will love you. Turn to him. Depend on him. Let's pray. Jesus, this is your day. Jesus, I love you. We love you. We're so thankful for you. Thank you that you're not just our like buddy, roommate, friend. It just makes us feel better and gives us a pep talk. But that Jesus, you came in the flesh and suffered and know what it's like to be here and know what it's like to be us and have saved us from ourselves not because you needed us as a friend. You loved us first while we were still sinners. I pray, Lord God, that you'd keep us from sin, keep us from bondage, and keep us from death. But I also pray that we would know, just in our souls, that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. Maybe you're ours and we're yours. And that's based on what you've done, not on what we do. Let's pray that. God, help us know you are our friend and our God. I love you, Jesus, and praise you, sing your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.